Welcome to Life After Blindness, a blog and podcast that is dedicated to the exploration of an enabled life of blindness. And now, here's your host, Tim Schwartz. Thank you, Alyssa, and thanks to all of you for tuning in to the Life After Blindness podcast. I want to thank each and every person who took some time to send feedback to me after the last episode where I interviewed John Heald from Carnival Cruise Line. So many people got in touch with me on social media and by email to let me know what they thought about Carnival and the actions that they've taken to make cruising accessible. And a lot of you sent in your suggestions. So I thank you for that as well. If you want to get in touch, if you have questions or comments for me, send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. Coming up in this week's show, I have a very special episode planned for you. Later on, I'm going to be speaking with my good friends, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. They're going to talk with me about some tech news that's going around in the blind and visually impaired community this week. Also, we have a brand new Because of My Blindness story from Paul. He lives in Kenya and he's going to talk with us about all the things going on there. And later in the podcast, I'm going to actually share with you some of the emails that I've received recently. As always, you can find the show notes with links to everything that I talk about in this week's episode at my website. Go to lifeafterblindness.com slash 34. That's lifeafterblindness.com slash 34. But before we get into all of that, like I promised a moment ago, let's kick the show off with a Because of My Blindness story from Paul Mugambi. My name is Paul Mugambi. If you may like, call me Mpof number one. I'm from Kenya. I lost my eyesight 27th October 1997, 4.36 p.m. Some guys were fighting and then I got some wrong medication. I have uh, been able to overcome the experience, although there are still existing of discrimination and stigmatization among the community and also a lack of support services from the Kenya government towards life of blind persons. It's not an easy journey, but I believe that with hope, courage, and support, we shall make it one day. Uh, I come from a humble background, and uh, I have struggled or hustled my way to ensure that rights of persons' abilities are recognized, I'm a serious advocate for issues regarding persons' abilities and uh, as a way of uh, getting things done, I participated in several campaigns together with uh, disabled persons within organizations, the country and also around the region and also in some international platforms. I am also a musician. I do compose music and uh, write so as to ensure I continue advocating for issues of disability. I am very passionate about disability mainstreaming and that's the focus which I have. I believe that Rome was not built within a day and also 
we create we are supposed to create space where there is no space when you see that things are not working participate in changing i normally try as much as possible to ask myself or to contribute to what i can make kenya a better place for blind persons and uh, other blind fellows in the world currently i'm engaged with the whitekin initiative with the global whitekin program whereby i have some blind americans who are coming over to donate some whitekins in march to fellow kenyan blind community and we are working closely with blindness organizations over here majorly the major challenges which we face as blind people in kenya is that there is no that support system which can enable the blind persons to be independently to do his stuff or have the technology at hand so it's a big struggle and some of us who have a bit of this technology we are trying our level best we don't have the trainers we train ourselves listening to youtube uh, discussions listening to different experiences most blind people in kenya are, are teachers and a few lawyers uh, currently we don't have anyone who has ventured into big or in terms of uh, other professionalism but at least we are hoping that things will change since uh, i started that advocacy of uh, allowing blind persons and other persons with abilities to pursue different courses during my campus days we were not allowed to pursue a different course other than teaching so but things have now started to change we are hoping that things will become better because i'm blind i've seen a lot of discrimination even in different sectors whether it is when you're using public transport name calling some people think that blind are beggars they want to make you to feel bad and all this really makes a blind person not to uh to feel like a human being another concern is uh, the lack of support mechanism in in terms of the government provision of uh, different services we still face challenges and uh, we hope that we can get people who can support us so that we can enable this advocacy to go on well and also those who are having some unused technology which they think that is obsolete in their own way they can donate to us so that we can support more blind people to be empowered uh my contacts are info at mugambipol.com or shamgpaul@gmail.com i have a website where you can learn more about what i do www.mugambipaul.com 
let me repeat info at mugambipol.com and shamgpaul at gmail.com you can also make our tap call plus 254-792-746-642 thank you team for hosting me in your program Paul, thank you so much for sharing that story with all of us. You know, it's really fascinating to me to see what people are doing all around the world when it comes to fighting the good fight to make things accessible for the blind and visually impaired. So, Paul, keep up what you're doing. You sounds like you're doing a really great job over there. And again, I thank you. If you'd like to submit your story to me to share on a upcoming Because of My Blindness segment, please send that to me via email. Send that to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. You can write that out in text form for me to read here on the show, or you can share an audio file like Paul did and others have done. Just attach that to an email and send it on, and I will share your blindness stories in an upcoming episode of Life After Blindness. And now it's time for this week's news. And joining me for the news this week are a couple of familiar voices to not just listeners of Life After Blindness, but also RNIB Tech Talk as well as Double Tap Canada. I am joined this week by Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey! Oh, hello. Oh, this is nice over here, isn't it? This is very posh. I know. He's got like proper seats. Uh, he's got a little bit of a buffet going on. Uh, it's really nice. Beef jerky, I believe it's called over here in the USA. I didn't want to be rude, <laughs> but yeah, apparently it is. Grits and biscuits. Well, I'm glad that you guys enjoy the uh, posh uh, <laughs> you know, area that I allow for my guests. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, we, I don't go off and invited in, if I'm honest. And it's interesting. It's it's nice to be in a, a studio where I'm not being called a reprobate. Um, yeah, so, well, give you know. it. It's early days yet. It's, it's true. Yes, it. yes, I know. It's, it's only a couple of minutes in. Yeah, we've only just gotten yeah, started, okay. Stephen. Just uh, yeah, don't get ahead All of right. yourself. Hello, Tim. It's good to be here. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it is good to have you guys both back on Life After Blindness, and I wanted to have you both on because. Every time I looked at the news stories for this past week or so, they all seem to be about technology. And when we think technology, well, people should think Stephen Scott, Sean Priest, and myself, shouldn't they? So, of course, uh, I thought, of course, I would have you guys on to talk about some of these stories that are going on. So let's start off with one that I think is is really Sean's uh, obsession, his uh, love affair. I'm not sure what this is, but with uh, Here we go. with <laughs> with uh, home assistance, and there's been some news, Sean, from Amazon as well as Google. Oh yes, okay. So the first thing is Amazon blueprints. These are so cool. Now these have been around for a couple of years now. I think, I think yep. it was the the man. Joe Moz, as I know him, Jonathan Mosen, who first uh, did a podcast about creating a blueprint skill. So what these do, you go to blueprints.amazon.com or whatever country you're in, amazon.co.uk or wherever, and you will see a list of templates or blueprints of skills that you can make yourself. Now, when I say make yourself, I don't mean all that nerdy coding nonsense. You don't have to do any of that. Careful. You just pick... <laughs> Uh, sorry, sorry, I forgot my audience for a second. You <laughs> wait a minute, my audience aren't all nerds. Anyway, continue. No, I meant you two. Oh, um, 
So you've got a list of various uh, blueprints there, and it may be something like, um, I don't know, a greeting card, something simple like that, all the way up to creating a, an adventure game or a trivia quiz. Um, there's now 50 of these blueprints available. So you pick your blueprint, and then it's as simple as filling in a form. What questions you want the Amazon Echo to ask, what answers you're expecting. It's really straightforward and it's accessible through the website. It's great. But the big news is before you could only use these blueprints you created in your own house, on your own devices, that was it. But now Amazon have allowed these blueprints to be almost published to the public. So you can create a skill and it will appear for everyone um, it is a slow rollout, but currently US, I think, is the main one. It will appear for everyone and anyone in the whole world will be able to use your skill. It's amazing. And it, it's um, it, it can make some really interesting things happen. So, yeah, I'm going to really look into it when it does roll out properly here in the UK. I'm going to be all over it. Yeah, I've been all over this myself, Sean, looking at all the different uh, blueprints you can create, looking at the trivia game skills. Uh, actually, Jonathan Mosin, people know he has put together a trivia game that's uh, blind technology trivia. People can check that out. I I'm not really good at it. I've tried it and I, I don't get any of the answers correct, but it is just a good <gasps> example. Well, I get some of them correct. Let me say that. You're sacked. I Does that mean you're not blind? Does that mean you're not techie? I just don't know my assistive tech going back 35 <laughs> years ago. That's the problem. Um, but um, but no, he, he did this and created a, a trivia game and uh, made it available for everyone in the U.S. skill store. And I like that. What I'm nervous about is a lot of, um, we'll just say less than good quality skills popping up in the store. Um, I, I think that yeah. would be a concern, don't you think, Stephen? Yeah, I, I do. I, I actually think that's probably one of the main concerns about it. But I have to say, and I hate when this happens, but I actually agree with Sean. This is actually not a bad thing. Uh, because <laughs> what it does for people like me who are a bit thick is it allows me the opportunity to try this kind of thing out. Uh, I don't understand coding. I did attend once through my job. Uh, an Amazon masterclass on creating apps. And by the end of it, I thought my head had been turned inside out and beaten senseless. Um, it was the worst experience of my life. And, uh, you know, it just, it seems to be that, you know, that, that coding to create a skill is extremely complicated. <laughs> Who'd have thought? It's like Trump Oof. on healthcare. Who knew it was difficult? But I will say that with this, it, it seems really simple. I, I think it's maybe simple is pushing it a bit in some ways because it's, it does require a lot of work to it. And, of course, you can add a lot more to it. What I will say is I think in the States at the minute, this is far further forward than what we're getting here in the UK. And uh, I'm with you, Sean. I think that when it rolls out properly here, that's when I think a lot of people will take interest in it. You know, we've talked on, on Double Tap and on Tech Talk about the, the city shortcuts thing, and I'm always yawning during it. Whatever. But this, this really appeals to me. So I think we're all on the same page on this one. Wow. Okay. So down on Siri shortcuts, but up on this. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where to take that, but no, I agree with you. I think I'm that, unpredictable. Oh, you are unpredictable. But when this goes worldwide, I do agree. This is going to be something really special because hopefully as we can weed through some of the lesser quality ones, the silly ones that, that people make for themselves and, and post them up for the rest of the world, that will happen 
but I, I really hope that there'll be some some really good ones that come out of this, some really interesting games and different experiences and things that you can do. Because there are so many, like Sean said, there's over 50 of these. I've been looking at maybe doing the flash briefing one, the blogging one. They're a little bit more involved than the rest, but like Sean said, most of them are just as easy as filling in blanks, put, I mean, choosing a question, choose, you know, making an answer, creating an answer. There's sound effects you can choose for some of these, and it's it's really nice. So I, I'm happy to see that they did this and made it so easy to make these uh, you know be able to be available to everyone in the public. Now, Sean, yeah, we, I, oh, go ahead. So no, I was just going to say, I, I think that that's those skills are the ones that I want to see, the blogging, the flash briefing capability. We don't have that yet here, and I think for people who blog. Um, you know, like we do with the double tap dot online. You know, we've we've got the blog there. It'd be really great to turn that into audio or create custom audio for the smart speaker, and to be able to do that simply and accessibly is great because you know not all of us are coders, and Correct. it would be great to be able to have the chance to to do. I'm that. sorry, Stephen. What website was that you mentioned? Oh, I, I, it was um, double tap dot online. You may have heard of it. Why? Wow, that sounds very interesting. Double tap online. I like the sound of that. It's nice. You should check it out. Yeah. <laughs> For all of your assistive technology blindness techniques. Maybe right. maybe maybe you two should check it out since I'm the one that writes all the articles. Anyway, oh, uh, it's got nasty or what a reprobate. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I think both of you are right. Look, this is definitely interesting. I think Amazon really do need to do something about the skills. Let's call it a store. Why not? Because, I mean, there's so much rubbish in there now anyway. Yeah. Um, add this into it, and it's just going to be flooded. So hopefully there's going to be some sort of, I don't know, benchmark in there for what can be added. But... um saying that then i'll never get anything in there but yeah it definitely needs like it. Yeah. it definitely needs some sort of moderation no it definitely will although I, I hate to even bring this up because i know it's a bugaboo for you but once you get something in that skill store right now it's not all that accessible with voiceover so <sighs> trying oh, to get skills in there right now is so awful it's oh really the, oh, really the last three updates oh. that they they brought out it's as simple as a element label it, it's that's all they need to change and oh yeah you're talking about the app so i thought you meant when you put the skill in and try no, to no, the app itself right, okay. the lady a app itself the searching for skills oh, that's terrible once you you can search for them but the button for search is not labeled and then once you find them they're just a bunch of coding nonsense and you have to dissect it to figure out what it is terrible mm. absolutely it's terrible awful. they should be ashamed of themselves bad amazon well, now, speaking of good news, we'll transition out of that because I don't want you to get too much on a rant because I know this is really bothering you. It bothers me, too. Uh, we yeah, did... but, yeah, hang on, Sean. You're on an American podcast. It's got to be positive. Uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. Feel good. Hollywood ending. No, no we, don't, we don't have to be that positive. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I've got you two on. I know better. So anyway. Yes. <laughs> so, Sean, tell us then about all of this confusion surrounding Apple Music and Google. Now, this is a weird one. Talking of Hollywood, this is like a movie. This is so strange. So we started to see lots of news coming through that Apple Music is going to um, be supported on the Google Home devices, the Google Home smart speakers. Everyone had seen it in the app. Um, Apple Music was starting to appear and pop up. Everyone was losing their minds. This is great. Of course, Apple have been expanding Apple Music to the Amazon smart speakers uh, recently. Um, not quite here in the UK yet, but you've got it in the US. Um, and their iTunes and AirPlay support in Samsung, LG and Sony TVs. So, you know, Apple are embracing uh, partners more. So, OK, Apple Music is coming to the Google Home. But then 
a few hours later, Google announced that no, uh, they have no plans to uh, add Apple Music to the Google Home smart speakers at all. And it was just a glitch, so they said. So everyone forgot about it. But now Business Insider have reported that it is coming to Google Home and it was just a uh, premature, um, the glitch was just actually that they let it out too soon. So actually, I don't know where we stand with this. I've got to say, it makes total sense for Apple to allow Apple Music because, you know, it's more subscription. It's just another revenue stream. It doesn't matter to them where people are listening to it. Um, You could argue that they want everything to be on their hardware, but something like Apple Music, it is a big money maker for them. And I can actually see them saying, yes, let's get this out on many platforms as they can. So the latest breaking news, it was on, it was off, and now it's back on again. It's like Ross and Rachel. It is like Ross and Rachel, but (laughs) Stephen, I know you've got a HomePod. The more places that Apple Music appears, isn't this a HomePod killer? The only place you can't get Apple Music is on Stephen's HomePod. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because I unsubscribe. But look, let's just look up past that just for a second. Um, Yeah, I have to say, I think this does make the HomePod questionable now as a purchase for anyone. Because ultimately, you know, you can't get any other services other than Apple Music on the HomePod unless you airplay into the speaker. Uh, from your phone or whatever, and that's fine. But you know, I have got Sonos Kit as well, and it's not Sonos fine. Now, it's terrible. That's a terrible no, way well, to do it. it. It's fine <laughs> in the sense of if you spent the money on it, you know what you're going to do. Um, but you know, on Sonos, you can get Apple Music, you can get Spotify, you can get Tidal, you can get a whole wide range of options. And it just seems crazy that you know Apple are kind of pushing out to all these other companies, but they're not letting anyone else in. I get sort of the logic behind that, but it does feel a little bit exclusive. And of course, we now know that Apple are going to be launching some kind of video service this year. Um, you know, I think that's why this push is now on to make more services more available. Someone's almost obviously got to Tim Cook and said, you know, look, boss, um, if that's what they call him. Uh, thing is, you know, you want to make money, right? And he's like, yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of money, but we want more money because we're going to end up with less money if we keep doing what we're doing. Right. So what you need to do is, uh, you know, we need to kind of put stuff on more things. And he's like, right. And then he's obviously said, yes. And that's it. I'm basically summarizing the board meeting. Well done. Are you um, writing a book on that? that yeah. Well, I, I don't, I'm not quoting the minutes verbatim. So authoritative. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> an imagined conversation from the head of Stephen Scott there. Oof, that's a scary place. But no, I, I do think it's uh I think the home pod is great. It's an amazing sounding speaker. But so is the Sonos. Just saying. Yeah, so is the Sonos, so are many other speakers. And no, 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 no other speaker. The Sonos no other and speakers. the home pod. Oh. Everything oh, else is terrible. Me. You oh. two have get terrible hearing. Uh, forgive me, uh, but we don't get into that. But uh, no, I, I think, though, that the more places they put Apple Music, it means that the HomePod is going to need massive upgrading. They're going to have to bring out a new HomePod, open it up to other services. They're going to have to put apps on there. They're going to have to put profiles. They're going to have to do a lot of different things to bring it in line with what Amazon and Google have done and and uh, you know other speakers. Uh, otherwise, it's just a doorstop. It, it really isn't going to be worth anything, quite honestly. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this going forward, especially, like you said, with the video subscription that's going to come out you know, presumably later this year. So I Stephen, that each and every day you travel quite a bit to and from work and you're always on the train and talking about Amazon Echoes and different services and things. 
Virgin Trains has made an announcement here recently. Yeah, and this is actually really good for rail travellers in the UK and hopefully around the world as well. One of the biggest challenges when you're travelling is getting assistance booked uh, because you have to, you know, you have to call a special number or go online to a certain website and you've got to hope that, you know, the moon is in line with Saturn and that, you know, there's a guy with a hat on, hopefully backwards, (laughs) and it's Tuesday. And if all of those things work out, I think it has to be also half past the hour. All of that, then you're fine. Um, If the man's cap is on the wrong way around, you're getting nothing. Uh, so what Virgin have done, uh, Virgin is uh, many things in the UK. It was once a drink, and it's now a train. Um, and you can get on the Virgin train and go to uh, London or Glasgow or wherever you want to go. Uh, that's all the places I go, so that's all the places I care about. Um, but <laughs> it's really, really interesting because they've, they've now what they've done is they've created an Amazon Echo skill. So you can ask Lady A, uh, for not just uh, assistance, as I mentioned, but train times, booking tickets, and you can book assistance at the same time. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but it's actually a really, really important thing because if you're booking assistance, what what I have to do currently is I book my tickets and then I have to call a different number and then quote my reference number of my tickets to the people I've just bought the tickets from to say, uh, now I know you're basically the same guy sitting next to the guy I've just spoken to, but uh, you know, you've got a different sign above your desk, so now I have to speak to you about this, and then we book the assistance. Whereas this does it all through the smart speaker. You don't need to speak to a soul. Um, I think this is really, really good news, and it's the first train company in the world to do this. So, well done, Virgin. Yeah, well done, Virgin. I'm I'm really impressed by this. I'm glad that they see the usefulness in doing this as an Amazon skill. And what's nice is you can you know book that at home with your Echo device, or because the Lady A app allows you to uh, you know talk to it through that, you can do things through it there as well. So I, I think this is a really good idea, and and hopefully this is something that will pick up and and move around worldwide. Sean, I know you don't travel too much, but this I think this is something that could be really useful. How dare you! I travel. Do you? Tim. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't travel like Stephen. I'm does. an international jet-setting playboy. Of course, I travel. Oh well, pardon me. I've been to Stockport and everything, <laughs> and Ramsbottom. Anyway, enough of that. Wow, is that a place? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a state of mind. It's a family-friendly anyway, show. Anyway, I've got to say, is this possibly the most complicated skill ever? Because if you think about it, right, what we're using smart speakers for currently is playing podcasts, streaming music, um, the odd game trivia question, and questions in general. Um, And they're very simple. If you think of what's needed to create them and what it's actually doing, it's very simple stuff. Now, this, it's got to interact with databases and the the Virgin Trains uh, own computer system to get information from that. This is actually a pretty complicated skill, and it's it's pretty positive for what it can do in the future. If it can handle this sort of thing, I mean, I haven't tried it yet, then it can really start to get some interesting skills later on. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about this, because one, of course, the the out-of-the-box accessibility of Amazon Echoes just, you know, is perfect for us. But to have it be something that's this involved, this complicated, that could do this many things, 
I, I know that, you know, for my U.S. listeners, this isn't really doing us a lot of good, but I think this is the beginning of something really nice that could make its way around the world, like I said before, and not just trains, but, you know, airline companies and, you know, all types of different uh, services and companies could use something like this. Well, you know, to, to take the wider point on this, uh, the reason I think that Virgin have done this in the UK is because accessibility has been at, at the forefront of their work for many years. And most recently, up until this point, uh, Virgin Atlantic, the the uh, airplane people, um, that's, of course, the official title of that business. Airplane uh, people, yes. The air, air, airplane people, yeah. Uh, well, they have come up with a, a novel idea for people who, and it doesn't sound, again, like much, but it's a small change, and it does make a difference to travellers who are blind, that the content that will be on their in-flight displays uh, will be accessible with voiceover because they're using iPads for the um, for for the system to be able to, to view um, movies or TV shows or whatever it is you want to watch. And there is an amount of content on there that is audio described for blind viewers as well. Wow. That's so big news. It is. And they're making, you know, th these are small strides in some ways because in the big world out there, this doesn't make a lot of splash if we're honest, because, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's almost like, ah, uh, they've done that for the nice blind people. But actually, you know, if you can afford to get on a Virgin Atlantic flight, then you're probably doing all right in life. Um, so, you know, uh, you're going to Disneyland or you're doing something nice, you know. So being able to just enjoy the in-flight movie along with your family um, and get the audio description, be able to navigate, all these things really matter. So Virgin have been doing this around the world, which is fantastic. Uh, it is great to see them extend this into the UK. I hope they share some of that knowledge. One thing I've learned, last year I learned about Google and Apple working together um, in terms of accessibility work, and that really surprised me. I think it surprised all of us when we heard that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you know, we kind of broke it on our Tech Talk show, when it, when it, we broke, broke most things in our show, but we broke <laughs> the news on this particular story um, about the fact that Google and Apple, they do, they work together to make you know, accessibility work for everyone, and I think that's amazing. So I hope that some of the learning that, that Virgin have done here, they pass on to other companies. So, you know, Amtrak in the States or, you know, MTA or whatever it is that the, the you know, the, the rail networks there, they are able to use this and, you know, support blind people in, in America as well, or anywhere in the world. Absolutely. That. I totally agree with that. I hope that that ends up happening. And speaking of being able to connect with each other all around the world, another story that I wanted to pick up on this week, is, I'll, I'm going to throw this to Sean first, because I know, Stephen, I'm not sure if you're all that thrilled about this, but uh, let's see what Sean thinks. So there's a new peer-to-peer -peer gadget that is wireless, so it does not connect to the internet at all, but it does allow for payments you know, actual cash payments to be made between users around the world. And it's designed to work for the blind and visually impaired. The uh, keys on it are, are you know, properly uh, tactile and you can feel them and understand them. It's got a fingerprint reader on there for security. I believe it actually even speaks as well. And it is quite accessible to make payments to anybody anywhere around the world without connecting to the internet. Yes, Stephen. I mean, what's not to love about this? I mean, it's it's accessible and it's been thought about. Accessibility has been thought about from the get-go. Yeah. And you don't like it. What's the matter with you? No, I'm not against it. I'm waiting to hear what this is about. I don't really understand this thing. Well, I mean, then, then just me. wait, because you will be amazed when I tell you all the information on this. I don't understand 
how, how does this work if it doesn't require an internet connection at all? I, this really confuses me because we we do have some, I would suppose, similar products over here. There's there's Square Pay and PayPal have a very nice little uh, chip and pin machine that you can use, um, which is fairly accessible as well. But all of them require some sort of internet connection. I, I don't get this. Yeah, one. this one I've read and reread the article probably a half a dozen times trying to figure out how this works because they say peer to peer. Uh, sure, you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You read the headline two or three times, yeah, um, but uh, we know you, but it says peer to peer. And when I think peer to peer, I think internet, I think sharing online from one person to another. And unfortunately, all the articles I've been able to find on this just say peer to peer sharing around the world without internet. I don't know how that's possible unless there's something built into the device specifically that it can share with maybe other devices or network somehow without needing the internet using some sort of proprietary system that it allows it to do this. So how it works, I honestly have no idea. But the fact that it does work, that it's been designed for the blind, this is a company called Digital Cash Inc. And the product is called Digital Wallet, very, very well, clever or not, maybe, but uh, Digital Wallet and... Uh, <laughs> I think that it's a nice product. Will I use it? Probably not because I have a smartphone and I can make digital payments that way and all that. But for people who maybe don't have a smartphone or any other way to make these pro you know, make these uh, cash processes you know happen, or maybe they're in a place where there's no internet, I don't know. I think this could be interesting. I'm totally confused about what this would be used for and what application. This sounds like the something a terrorist would use to pay for his terrorist stuff. Oh, he's took it down a terrible Oof. dark alley again. Wow. This is a happy show, Stephen. No, but I, no. I don't get the point of it. Why would you? Why would it need to be offline? What are you doing that requires it to be offline? No, why no, no. I don't think the... that's, oh, this is offline, isn't this cool? I think it's a case of sometimes it's really hard to get a connection. So, And I think that their selling point there is that because you're not online, it's more secure because it's a secure peer-to-peer -peer connection. Nobody can hack you online. Okay, but if I'm ever stuck in Outer Mongolia, and no offence to the good people of Outer Mongolia, I don't know what your internet's like. It could be amazing. And that's my point. You know, I think there probably is decent internet in it, even in Outer Mongolia. Oh, so, no, no, no. You're stuck in a bubble. No, the internet is terrible. Right, okay. Well, oh, well let's not go down to, that route. Wow. Take that for a sound bite. Don't really the internet know what is terrible. <laughs> no, look, I, I love, I haven't carried cash around with me for ages, partly because I haven't yeah, got any. Could you but. <laughs> I mean, you know, Apple Pay changed my life everywhere. Yeah. In the UK, chip and pin and contactless payments is everywhere. I go and get a, a ham and cheese toasty every morning from the, the corner shop, and I pay just using my Apple uh, Apple Watch, just using Apple Pay. So, you know, I haven't carried cash with me for so long, and, and it, it's fantastic. And that's more, it's more safer, I believe, than using your bank card. Absolutely, because it, it generates is. a unique temporary card number. And as soon as you make that purchase, that card number is destroyed. It doesn't exist. So if someone clones that number, it doesn't matter. So it is so secure. So I think, you know, digital payments is, of course, the way to go. And if this is an accessible way to do it, it's great. I just, I guess my question is, who is this for? I mean, it sounds like another PayPal type system. I'm thinking about me as if I would I want to buy this, and if I was buying it, what would I do with it? Is it to accept payments, or is it just to make payments? Because if and I send and receive, right? Okay, because I'm thinking if I want to make payments, I could just you know use my Apple Watch, 
or I can use my. Well, yes, um, but what, what if you're a small or businessman or, or self-employed? You know, you can take easily well, take not. payments. Yeah, well, you're not, Stephen. It's not just for you. Everything's not just for you. I'm asked. getting annoyed. <laughs> Tim, take over. <laughs> but he asked. He asked if I would want this, and I said no. All right, don't cry. All right, well, I think we're going to need a tiebreaker. Please, listeners of Life After Blindness, email me, Tim, at lifeafterblindness.com. Break this tie. Tell me if this is really worth talking about, even though we've already burned five minutes talking about it. Is this something we would buy? Is this not something we would buy? No. Please let me know. Um, yes. We, we know no, Stephen I mean, I mean, won't purchase why would, it. Why would you want this? I mean, look, okay, so it's accessible. It's got tactile buttons. I love when people say that. It's got tactile buttons. What does that even mean? Look, it's got a dot in the five. If it doesn't have a dot in the five, forget it. That's all you need. <laughs> there's, there's the ambassador of uh, accessibility there. Come on now. Tactile buttons are important, of course. And I believe yeah, it has so speech talking, as well. But we're talking about a keypad. Yes, well, there's lots of keypads that got funny shaped buttons, and like you said, if they don't have that dot on the five, they're a nightmare. Exactly, that's what I just said. Yeah, well, no, you you said tactile buttons. What's the point? Big deal, and then went on to say, but if it hasn't got a dot on the five, then it's useless. That is a tactile button. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let's move on from this. Wow, I didn't think we were going to generate this kind of uh, <laughs> angst and anger. Although I should have known better. I really should have known better after knowing you guys. I think we all need to spend less time with each other. I think that's the the result of this. That might be. That might be. Well, that will do it for this week's news. If you want to hear more from Stephen and his new co-host, Robin Christofferson, be sure to check out the RNIB Tech Talk radio show and podcast. And if you want to hear more of the three of us talking technology, make sure to check out the radio show and podcast, Double Tap Canada. That is on each and every week on AMI Audio in Canada, or of course, wherever you find podcasts. You can also visit doubletap.online for more content updated by the three of us. Stephen, Sean, thank you guys so much for being on Life After Blindness. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. It's always so much fun when the three of us get together, especially when we get together and talk about technology. So I'd just like to thank Stephen and Sean once again for taking the time to come on Life After Blindness and talk with me about this week's technology news. And be sure to subscribe to the Life After Blindness podcast if you haven't done so already, because later this week, I'm going to be posting a conversation with Stephen and Sean where we're going to discuss all the behind the scenes reasons as to why Sean and I have left RNIB Tech Talk. I really think that everyone is going to enjoy that conversation and it should answer many of the questions people have had surrounding me and Sean leaving Tech Talk. So again, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss that or check out the website, lifeafterblindness.com. And now it's time for this. You've got mail. The first email comes in this week from Linda. She can be found at theblindtraveler.wordpress.com. And she wrote in concerning the interview that I had conducted in the last episode of Life After Blindness, which can be found at lifeafterblindness.com slash 33. In that episode, I conducted an interview with the senior cruise director and brand ambassador of Carnival Cruise Line, John Heald. John and I talked about how Carnival Cruise Line has made their cruise ships accessible for the blind and visually impaired. To read Linda's email and all the emails that I'll be sharing with you this week, I've recruited my trusty text-to-speech voice voice friend, Allison. Allison, take it away. Hi, Tim. I enjoyed your segment regarding the Carnival Cruise. As a senior, age 66, I now appreciate the cruise lines who cater to my age. Celebrity and scenic river cruises. However, I do have to ask for certain things like the daily activities letter emailed to me or advanced menus emailed to me. 
That being said, I love cruising as I feel safe on the ship and the staff are always so kind and helpful. I am always kind and responsive in return. Attitude is everything. I hope more blind people give cruising a try. Have a great day. Linda. Thank you, Linda. And you are absolutely right. Attitude is everything. And part of that, of course, is very obvious. Be polite, be respectful. But what you have to make sure to do is not be afraid to go and ask for help. Make sure you ask questions. I think a whole lot of people were surprised at the amount of different things the Carnival Cruise Line makes available to us, from screen readers on their computers that are in their internet cafe, to allowing you to request a sighted assistant or guide to walk with you throughout the duration of your cruise. So as with most things when it comes to being blind or visually impaired, make sure that you're speaking up and asking questions if there's ever anything that you feel that you need that's going to help your life and your vacation to be more accessible and more fun. Linda, thank you again for your wonderful email. And thanks also to all of those people who got in touch with me on social media about that interview. I've actually been able to compile a list of suggestions that people have sent to me, all kinds of different things about how cruising could be made even more accessible for the blind and visually impaired. So I've sent that on to John Heald so that he can talk with the powers that be of Carnival about that. And hopefully a few more things can be added to the list. All right, let's check in with our screen reader friend, Allison, to hear the next email. Hi, Tim. I wanted to email and tell you how much I love your podcast. I listen to every episode and as someone who is visually impaired, I find all the information and resources you mentioned very helpful. I also wanted to email to ask about putting up a podcast on iTunes. I've been trying for a year to get the podcast I run with my best friend up on iTunes, but we've had no luck. I was wondering if you had any tips on how to go about it. My friend and I are both screen reader users. Thanks so much, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Have a great day. Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you so much for your email and all your kind words about the podcast. I'm so glad that I'm able to help somebody out there. (laughs) And thank you so much for listening to every single episode. That is awesome. As far as getting into iTunes, you know what? What I've done is actually I use a media host called Blueberry. That's spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. There's so many other media hosts out there. Libsyn comes to mind. And you can use those with plugins on a WordPress blog. And that's what I've done. I set up a WordPress account and set up my website there and then use the Blueberry plugin. And that allows me to upload my content on my media files to Blueberry and then attach it to a blog. And through WordPress, they actually have a submission tool where you can make sure that all of your information is sent over to iTunes properly. However, before you can do all that, you have to have an account with iTunes. All you need to do there is just download the most recent version of iTunes on your computer and walk through the process of submitting your podcast to the podcast directory. So you need to create an account and submit the podcast that way. Maybe in an upcoming Tim's tech tip, I will uh, walk through that process for everybody if that's something that people will be interested in. But that's what you have to do. You have to register with iTunes, submit the podcast that way through iTunes, and then you've got to be able to get your feed from your website or wherever it is that you're hosting your audio files. So in my case, the MP3 files that I use for Life After Blindness, I have those on WordPress uh, coming from my Blueberry account and they send them on over to Apple. And then that thankfully sends them off to all the other podcast 
players out there in the world, uh, minus a few that I have to submit to directly myself, but otherwise it gets you where you need to go. So hopefully that helps you, Rebecca. I, I did email you some general information. If you got that email, please let me know if there's anything additionally about submitting podcasts that anybody has any questions about. Again, send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com and I'll be happy to help in any way that I can. Okay, let's check back in with Allison because we have one more email to share this week. Hi, my name is Tori and I am blind. I am an internet radio broadcaster and I run my own internet radio station called Tor94FM.com. I have a question. How do you read things on the air when you are doing a podcast? Do you use a braille display or do you use voiceover or just to read it? I am curious because I am having a hard time getting help to get a braille display. Hi, Tori. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I really like what you're doing with your radio station. I will put a link to it in the show notes for anybody that would like to check that out. Also, going back to Linda's email, I will put a link to her Blind Traveler page in the show notes as well. Again, that will be found at lifeafterblindness.com slash 34. As for reading things out loud on a podcast or reading things when I'm on the radio, well, I don't. Well, let me say that on the Life After Blindness podcast, I don't think I've ever tried to read anything out loud here, but when I've been on the radio, I have had to read things there. Luckily, we do all of that in kind of a pre-production, so I can take as many times as I like to get it right, to get the lines down, reading it with a screen reader and just rehearsing it, practicing it, not really memorizing it, or at least only memorizing it for the few seconds I need to say it aloud again to get it recorded. And then either myself or my good friend, Sean Priest will edit down anything that I've had to read out loud so that it sounds like I actually know what I'm talking about. But if you're looking to actually have to read things, read very specific things, again, you can do what I've done here, which is use a screen reader or text-to-speech voice to read emails for you. I've done this in the past where I'll use a female voice for women's emails, a male voice for men's emails, and that seems to work just fine. You can always get somebody in that has a little bit more vision than you and have them read the emails. We've done that on the RNIB Tech Talk program a couple of times where we've had sighted people come in and read for us. Or if you have a braille display and in your email, you mentioned that I do know people that are able to do that. Now, unfortunately, I've not gone far enough in my braille studies to be anywhere near uh, being able to do that. But I do know people that are able and proficient enough to read from a braille display or braille reader and at the same time, read that out loud as they're reading it on the Braille, just as if somebody was reading it from a page. That, I presume, takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. So I know it can be done. Unfortunately, it's not what I do. And maybe maybe I should complete my Braille classes so that I can do that. Maybe it would make it easier for me to uh, try to get all these things that I've had to read in the past out there and do it the first time or two instead of many attempts. But Anyways, I really hope that that answers your question. And again, if you want to find Tori's radio station, check out the show notes, lifeafterblindness.com slash 34. That will do it for episode number 34 of the Life After Blindness podcast. I'd like to thank Paul Mugambi from Kenya for sending in his Because of My Blindness story. I'd also like to thank my good friends Stephen Scott and Sean Priest for coming on and talking with me through the tech news. And I'd like to thank all of you for taking the time to tune in and listen to Life After Blindness each and every week. As always, you can email me your questions and comments to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. 
And you can find the show notes for this episode by visiting lifeafterblindness.com slash 34. That's lifeafterblindness.com slash 34. Please join me again next time as we continue our journey together to find that there truly can be a life after blindness. Take care, everybody. 